0: I'm going to do something slightly different. Uh, We're going to have the word, both visually, and we're going to have it read to us. But I want you to stand for the gospel. Chapter and verse, please.
1: Yes, so we're reading uh, John 10. Um, verses 1 to 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly.
0: Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I wanted you to stand for the simple reason this is God's word. It's the living word, and he's speaking to us. And uh, sitting back and relaxing and uh, just taking it as anything else does not do. That's my personal opinion. Now, as I go on with my talk, I want you to remember it, because something is going to come out of it. I want to come to the place, actually... And I just want to say what a privilege it is to be able to speak on John. John's Gospel is my favourite, above all of the Gospels. It is one of those that has such gems, such treasures, such hidden depth, we don't get it unless we actually know a little bit about Jewish culture and a little bit about their history. Otherwise, it is completely just take it for what it is. And that is not what it is intended to be. John, I have to say, to me, is just uh, amazing because John, in his own gospel, said of himself... Disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) He had such confidence, such knowledge of the love of Jesus, that he can say that. And why? Because John looked into the eyes of love. His head rested on the chest of Jesus and heard the heartbeat of God. That said, all shall be saved and none shall be lost. That's the heartbeat of God. That everyone should be saved and none to be lost. Why? Because this is what God is about. And when we come into the truly, truly, this isn't just a throwaway. Line and saying, look, to be honest with you, no. Truly, truly is, listen to this, get it and understand it. This is important. This is the bit I want you to get. When you get truly, truly, that's what it is. And then, not long after it, it comes with the I. I am. It's not I am, Eddie. It is I. I am. Which was what God said to Moses, who He is. Jesus is literally claiming to be God, and if anyone ever says to you that Jesus never said He was God, put him to John. He's saying it in the I-ams. He's saying I I am. And it can't be mistaken for any other statement, but he is God. He is God made flesh. He is with us. Emmanuel. Now, who knows what today is? Come on, be smart, it's Sunday. Okay, right. (laughs) No, it is a significant day In the Jewish calendar. Absolutely. Rosh Hashanah today. But not this minute. Rosh Hashanah starts at six o'clock tonight. Okay? So, New Year. What does it say to you? How do you understand New Year? Partying, celebrating, yeah. Saying goodbye to the old and saying hello to the new. We used to have a tradition in our family, which was we opened the front door to let the new year in, and we opened the back door to let the old year out. It was just a superstition, it's just one of those traditions. But if you didn't know uh, what that meant about people opening and shutting their doors at 12 o'clock at night, it wouldn't mean anything to you. It has no relevance. And this is my point about John's Gospel, and particularly this, I am the door. What we have in John's Gospel is on Rosh... No, sorry. Let me go back to Rosh Hashanah first. This is how it translates for the Jewish tradition. Did you know that today six o'clock tonight is the creation of the world this is the day that the world was made that's what it stands for it is the day of creation it's when God worked on this day in making all that we have and all that we see also tradition has it that they actually have a fish's head on the table or a sheep's head and they would eat the sheep's head and the fish head significance what does it mean does it have any relevance to you do you understand it no you don't because you're not jewish it's not your culture but what it actually means is, this year, you shall be the head and not the tail. You shall rule over and not be under the circumstances that come. Okay? Are you informed? Have you learned a little bit? This is what John's gospel has it has hidden gems, hidden treasure. You think you know it, you think you understand it, but you don't. You haven't got it all, because it's a lot more to be released, a lot more to understand. It is deep, but wonderful, just because of what it reveals. Now, <clears throat> also on Rosh Hashanah, Uh, because we're dealing with a situation now where the Jews don't have a temple, don't have a place to sacrifice, don't have a place to receive the forgiveness of their sins, how do they deal with it? Today, they will go to a body of water, sea, lake, anything of that nature, And they will stand there and they will confess their sins that they have done in the year to the water. And they were standing on scripture. The scripture says that I shall remove your sins from you and I shall cast them into the waters. They will be part of you no more. They will be gone and forgotten. But in understanding that little bit about sin and where it goes, also you can have a greater understanding about what happened in the boat with Jesus, and understanding the mentality of the men in there, because water of that nature represents evil and hidden evil the things that lurk in the depths the hidden and unseen things. And to them, association, when the storm rose up, it was evil. It wasn't a natural phenomenon that is obvious to us in our scientific minds. Of course, it's all to do with this and that and wind coming down the valley and, you know, it causes all this stuff. Very scientific. No. To them, it represents evil. And I actually if you're in a boat that's sinking, it wouldn't seem anything else, would it? Then this is going to be the end of my life. This is evil coming against me. So a mentality of understanding, culturally and historically, is important when you come to understand John. And I would have loved to have gone through, verse by verse, going from chapter 7, right the way through to chapter 11, to see that you have the woman caught in adultery. You have the man who received his sight, who was born blind, never seen before. And yet they're asking, show us who you are, tell us who you are. Oh, you God. Well, you know, a recreation of eyes and a miracle of that nature, never done before. Do you know what? Right the way through from that happening... In chapter 9 to the end of chapter 10, they're still talking about it in Jerusalem because it comes up at the end. And what happens in that is that they're so knocked out, it's such an event that everybody is talking about it. It is news. And if you go from the time of chapter 7, uh, sorry, chapter 9, right the way through to the end of chapter 10, there's a three-month period. It's not like it happened yesterday. It's a three-month period. And they're still talking about it. It's still hot news. And Jesus is still the man that everybody is talking about. So where does that come in with my particular topic of I am the door? Well, a door, obviously, is a means of going out and going in. Gaining access and being able to go out. Uh, I, if I'm honest, I was a little bit nonplussed by it because what more can I say on a door? But then it took me through the scriptures and I looked... Does it have anything to do with the lamb's blood being put on the door at Exodus? Yes, it does. Because Jesus is saying, I'm the door. And he's going on to say later about being the shepherd who lays down his life. So, yes, it does. I'm not going to tell you the significance of it right here and now because it's going to take too long because I need to go further on. It's something for you. There's also a door in the tent of the meeting. It was an important part of the tent of the meeting because people would come and present themselves and their sacrifice, walk up to the door and stand there to present their sacrifice. But not only did they come and present their sacrifice, they actually killed the animal. They used to, you know, the veins at the side of the neck? If you shut those off, a person will go to sleep, won't they? Because the brain is being starved of the blood. And they just pass out. And they're taught to do this. And they do that. And as the lamb or the goat or whatever the sacrifice is passes out and goes to sleep, they slit the throat. Sounds gross to us, but it was an everyday thing to them. It wasn't something that was totally removed from them and we are removed from death we don't experience it in the way that others do we're spared that and I'm glad really but the fact is we as Christians and the significance of this is that we live by the life Of another. Our life has been bought by another. Another had to spill their blood for us. Now we can see the significance culturally going directly to Jesus of the sacrifice. When it came to this particular period in history, where Jesus was in the temple area, there is two folds in view. And it's implied by how it's mentioned. There are two involved because you've got the temple fold, where there would be the animal's That would be corralled together, and particularly the sheep, for the purposes of the temple procedures and sacrifices. (laughs) Bless you, thank you. And what happened is that these um, animals would be in this particular corral and fold. But the one that's particularly in view is the one that is outside of Jerusalem, which is in the villages. This is the particular one where we're looking at thieves and robbers coming over the wall and killing and stealing the sheep. Now let's go straight to it. These thieves and robbers are the Jewish practitioners in the temple, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the ones that are in view as the thieves and robbers. We have to look at this and understand where we're coming into this story, an account of what Jesus was doing. We have a direct onslaught here of Jesus coming against religion. Because Jesus is bringing the the beginning. What happened in the garden? Relationship with God. To understand relationship with God. Not religion. And religion is something else. And the particular religion activities that Jesus is coming against and talking about is this privileged lifestyle. That this is, as in my day, we used to have certain jobs and certain places we could not enter because they were what they called closed shops. You had to belong to a particular trade union or you had to have a relative Or someone you knew in that particular trade. Then you might get in. Then you might be able to uh, have a job that is something of a prestigious job. Because people sought you, looked for you, the work came to you. It was comfortable, it was easy. religion does not bring life these people who were there Jesus didn't have a good word for them, you look at it and you read it in John they were meant, and this is in their history in the Bible they're meant to be the shepherds of the sheep and God Many times said, Look at my sheep. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And this image of the shepherd is something that is embedded within the Jewish tradition and the Jewish culture and history. This is no mistake about a shepherd being in view and sheep. Bless you. This shepherd and the sheep, I want to suggest to you that it's been muted that the sheep are stupid foolish you know beyond talking about really that's just so dumb but I want to say yes but you're missing the point there is something about the sheep that is worthy of Jesus making a point about after all he's called the Lamb of God and I want to just take a little thing and add it into the mix because Mark prayed for the children and about the little children coming to him and not stopping them. In Matthew 18, the disciples were getting into this religious stuff again. And they were saying, um, who will be the greatest in your kingdom, Lord? And Jesus Picked up a child and, or called a child to him. So this child would be five, six, probably not older than 12 because they'd be classed as an adult and responsible. So we got a rough age and he called him him, so it must be a boy, and stood him in the midst. And what did Jesus say to him? Unless you become as like one of these. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What's, what are we coming out with here? And you mean that I've got to be naive? Gullible? Is what, what children are? Innocent? Oh yeah, that's not bad. What is it that you have to be? What's he talking about? And I think, if you allow me, I'll tell you there's a trait about the child and the sheep that Jesus wants us to get. Both of them are reliant. Both of them need someone to take care of them. To have that trust in the shepherd. The sheep needed to be led to pasture. The sheep needed someone to clip the wool off them. Otherwise, they'd just be like a ball rolling around the place, completely helpless. They needed protection. They needed somewhere to go that is safe. They needed someone to look after them. And Jesus is saying in both of these cases, we have to be dependent on God, not independent. Whatever your job is, whatever your work is, you didn't get it. God gave it to you he gave it to you as your means of living so if he's given you everything what do you owe him? everything is it not so? for my family for my wife he gave me there's not a thing that I possess that he hasn't given me it all belongs to him I am dependent. Sure, I mean, people still make it through life. But what I'm talking about is as it came up on the end of the scripture, he's talking about abundant life. Not just getting by. Not just passable. But abundant life. And abundant life only comes about by being in unity with God. In relationship. And maybe you might say, well, how do you get to the point where you say, you know, it's about relationship? Just look at the sheep. Jesus knows their name. And if I know your name, we've got something, haven't we? We've got some relationship. But not only that, they know his voice. It means relationship. It means that they've got something that we are relating. I wanted to introduce just something that happened in the First World War. Out in the East, and this is also a cultural thing that you have to understand. Here in this country, the sheep are driven. In the East, they are led. So we can't mix the two up. We can't look at it and think that when we talk about sheep, we're not being driven. We're being led. And God, in the form of, as Jesus said, he leads us out and he leads us in. And the leading out and leading in is talking about freedom. Freedom to go out and to come in. We're free. This relationship with the shepherd is dependent, yes, but freedom. So, what Jesus wants us to get. Understand God. There are things that are going to be good for us. There's going to be things that are bad for us. Things that will do us harm. The freedom... Is in choosing which. So if we have a relationship, this relationship with God is about dependency. Knowing that we're dependent for every breath that we breathe. The life that we have is given by him. That we have a life... Sorry... I've been given the five minutes, so I need to wind up, and I've only just got there. What I wanted to say is that this relationship with Jesus is about dependency, not independence. The children represent dependency. The sheep reckon on dependency. And every time you see yourself going ahead, doing your thing, Without God, you're independent. That's the thing that caused the problem in the garden in the first place. This is where we've come to. What I wanted to come to is the very last part of that chapter. At that time, in chapter 10, people were still talking about the blind man and discussing about who Jesus was between should we say chapter 7 and chapter 11 there's about four four times where they actually picked up stones to kill Jesus and he walked out from them and it didn't happen but he was so they were so incensed they wanted to kill him and they wanted to kill him there and then and chapter 11 Ends with Lazarus, doesn't it? And Lazarus being raised. Do you know, they wanted to kill Lazarus as well because of what he stood for and represented? That Jesus is who he says he is. There is no mistaking. Creating new eyes for a blind man, raising a man from the dead. Only God can do this. But at the end of chapter 10, there's a celebration and a festival going on. This festival was the festival of dedication. Have you ever asked or wondered of yourself, where do the Jews get their notion of the kind of Messiah they were looking for? It was right there in that celebration. That celebration of dedication goes back to a group of people uh, called the Maccabees. Have you heard of them? You won't find them in the normal Bible, but the Apocrypha, and there's one and two Maccabees. Judah Maccabee was the man. They were a priestly family and they fought off... um, Let me me just give a recap on a little bit of the history. We've heard of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great died. His uh, chiefs, or the generals, they had the empire divided up among them. And this particular place had uh, been given, which was Syria in that area, been given over to Antiochus Antiochus, uh, Epiphany. And he was a particularly evil man he tried to wipe out Judaism and the practice of Judaism. He forbid uh, worship in the temple. He set it up to the gods of the Greeks. There was a situation that happened within uh, this where the Maccabees rose up against this authority. But not only did this Antichrist Antiochus come into the temple, but he set up a load of gods, and he sacrificed pigs on the altar. So this particular festival at Jesus' time was the cleansing of the temple, the cleansing of the things that were set up, the gods, the sacrifices, all that went on in there, the abomination of abominations, as they call it. And this particular Judah Maccabee was the one who wiped them out. Kicked their, what well, sits back to Syria. Kicked them out of Jerusalem. And there's another history within this. But this history actually set up um, the anticipation of this warrior Messiah. That this particular Warrior Messiah would be something like this Judah Maccabee. So right here, we've got a history of people and priests telling the story of the warrior king. And I would say that this now, I want to come, just to give it a a kind of wrap up, is that there's a gate called the Golden Gate, which is sealed up by a Muslim called uh, uh, Suleiman the Great, is it? Yeah. And he sealed it up. Why? Because he asked for some Jewish advisors to come to him, which would be these priestly people who did all the temple things, and asked them about the Messiah. And because he was occupying Jerusalem at the time, They advised him that this Messiah that they're expecting would be a warrior priest. So, Solomon thought, okay, how will we know that it's him? Well, he's going to come through that gate. And There's a lot more I can say about the gate, but this is all history and tradition again. But this particular gate, which is, get me towards my door, thing, is the gate is related to the coming again of the Messiah. But the Jews are still expecting their Messiah. Here's the cultural difference. They are expecting him to come through that gate. That gate has been sealed up so the Messiah can't come through it. But not only that, they put a cemetery in front of it as well so that Whoever comes through it is going to be ritually unclean. Well, this is the thing about religion. The people who advised him got it wrong. Quite simple. And actually, because the Messiah would have been not of the coin, which is the priestly order, He would be Davidic. He would be David. So going for a cemetery, wouldn't matter anyway to him. Okay? So, got it wrong. But also, in advising him, and his idea of sealing it up, he actually fulfilled prophecy. Because now that gate is sealed it will not be opened again until the Messiah comes through it. And it's all in Ezekiel. Look at it, and it will say that the Messiah will come through that gate, which Jesus did on Palm Sunday, and the gate's history says that the Shekinah glory of God is seen in that gate and was seen in that gate what is Jesus but the glory of God he's fulfilling prophecy all the time he came through that gate now that gate is sealed up no other person can come through that until the Messiah comes and when that happens this particular gate we know that it's all finished It's all done. And it's all over. So what I wanted to say in winding up and saying thank you for allowing me just to continue uh, is when we come to scripture it is good to take it for what it says and to understand it as it speaks to us. Because I believe the word of God is living. It is spirit filled. And it will talk to us. Is it necessary for you to understand all of this? Well, yes and no. It depends on how much you want to know what God has done. How much of scripture he has fulfilled, and how much he's going to fulfill. I love John. I think it is beautiful, above all of the Gospels, because you feel that John had that relationship, as we are meant to have, in knowing our God. I wanted to say so much more, but I just want to say, Rosh Hashanah, today, I would just like to pray for you. I'd like to pray a blessing upon you, as it would have been in a traditional sense. Okay. May the Lord God of our Jesus bless you richly. May this, as it is the beginning of creation, creating you a new life, and that you will have life in its fullness. And as it is common in this time to eat sweet things and good things, May your life from this point on be sweet. May you be the head and not the tail. May you be above and not under your circumstances. And May the Lord God bless you and keep you as you put yourself into his hands. Amen.